Thank you, Ed, Gary, and Jonathan. That was, wow, that was, I'm still shaking. That was amazing. Shall we, shall we pray? Do you feel like talking to God right now? After such a powerful music, oh yeah, I, I want to talk to God. And especially, I want to ask him to, to help us today understand his, his, his love, his never-ending love. It's, it's, we're, going to, we're going to spend eternity exploring, studying, experiencing God's love. So let's not pretend that we can do this in 45 minutes. My sermon's going to be 20 minutes. Don't worry. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> but let, let's, let's pray. Let's, let's, let's ask God to, to make us... Ah, to, you know what I'm trying to say, right? We want to know more of his love. And this is what we are going to, to share to the world. So let's pray. Lord, today, humbly, I... I beg you, Lord, knowing that you listen and you will answer, Lord, let us see you so we can, so other people will see you through us, in us. Lord, let us hear you, Lord, so we could go out and every word that we say will be something that you will say to the people, Lord. Let us feel you right now so we will find the assurance that you are with us. Lord, help us understand your love a little bit more today. So we can experience that love in our lives right now. And when we go out from this place, we will be able to showcase that amazing love and share that love with people, even without words. To preach the gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation, through our service, our love, and our message as well. Thank you for being with us today. I surrender to you. And I ask you, Lord, to, to help us hear your voice today. And only your voice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you again. I was afraid that after the last time I preached, since we finished a little late, a little late, you know, you were never going to invite me again. But it seems that you don't learn the lesson. And I'm here again. The good thing is that this time you gave me the mic like five minutes earlier. So we're going to be on track this time. This is a great church. It's happy. I'm happy to find that every time I come, I find out that there is, we have another connection. I, we have the Leonor family. And I, I have the privilege of, well, I used to have the privilege of going to, to the same church as Nina, and, and, and her husband in Stevensville, Michigan. And now I find that my friend, uh, my good friend Brian Norton, uh, has family here too. He attends the seminary. He's a great pastor, a great leader. And now I, friend, I, I found out that my friend Joel uh, has family here too, the Navarros. Where the, hey, there you go. I didn't know that. This is new to me. So I look forward to coming next time and finding I have three more friends that have family here. This is, this is just amazing. We are all connected. We are all family, it seems like. Speaking of family, there was this, this, this guy, powerful man, a businessman who ran a big corporation. And his, his desire was to run a corporation that will help people, that everything that they do will be honest and clear and transparent. And he ran this corporation in that way. He was a good guy. He had a good heart. 
And that was reflected in the way how things happen in his company. I have to move back, I think. Huh? They want to limit me here, but I, I can't. Uh, I'm from the jungle of Peru. I need to move. See, I, I didn't grow up in an apartment. You know, I grew up in the, in the jungle of Peru, so let's try to do this. Let's stay here. And this guy had a beautiful baby daughter, the most beautiful thing that he had ever seen. His wife and him decided to have a kid because they loved each other. They didn't try to have a kid, a kid to fix a marriage. That's not how you do it, right? Their marriage was so good. They loved each other so much that they wanted to share that love with, with another being. They had so much love to give that they decided to have this baby daughter. And she was precious. Even her diapers smelled amazing. You know, when you love someone, everything is precious. Waking up at 3 in the morning when she was crying, he will get up and say, hallelujah, I have to wake up at 3 in the morning. Say, oh. And when he go to work, he was kind to his, to his employees and he served them and, he, and he, he was always ready to help. But there was this, this one employee that was doing things a little different. He wanted some things that were not according to the policy or the character of the, of, the, of the CEO of this company. So he was trying to pocket some money by doing some businesses that were kind of illegal. They were against the policy of the corporation. And these things that he was doing started to affect the people that were supposed to receive the services. So the price went up. He was doing some things that were wrong. And when this leader knew that was, that, that was happening, the CEO knew that that was happening, because he was in contact with his employees. He loved them too. And he gave an opportunity to this guy. But this guy refused, 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 refused. At the end, the CEO had to tell to this employee, this bad employee, you know what? In my corporation, I do things like this. Because we want to serve. Our, our, we are not worried about ourselves. That money will come. We don't need to worry about how to to affect other people in order to gain something for us. We are here to sell, to serve. This is how I like to do business. But this guy refused to do it, so he had to be fired. This happened about, about the same time. This guy was a young, a young employee. Sadly, one of those things that happened, like kind of like very Shakespearean, uh, kind of in a Romeo and Juliet sort of way, uh, the daughter that he had, I was now a, a, a young woman, 18, 20 years old. Beautiful, she was beautiful. And the father loved that daughter with all his heart. He was precious. She, she, he dreamed, he, he even built a house for her. When, when she was born, she, he built a new house with a big backyard, and he put a, place how, a playhouse and a, and, a, and a slide and swings. He thought of everything that a father can imagine. He thought of every single detail that will make the daughter happy. He gave her the, the best education. He gave her the best everything. The best food, organic, non-GMO. Beautiful. And this daughter eventually started going out with another guy, with a guy. And the father that loved the, you know, it's, I have a daughter and I know this will come eventually. So there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I did it, and she will date someone, you know, regardless if I like it or not. We try to stop and pretend that that will never happen, that they will start dating when they, they turn 30 or 40 years old. You know, but when they are 30 or 40 years old and they are not dating, we start to worry too, you know? So yes, yeah, it's, it's the natural course of life. 
when the daughter came and introduced this guy, then the boyfriend to the father, the CEO of this corporation, guess what happened? That boyfriend, the one that he was, she was hanging out with, was this bad employee that had been fired from his corporation. The father, with love, told her daughter after the meeting, I love you. I have given you everything that you need. I love you forever. I'll always for, what is that? I, owe, I love you for always. As long as you live, my daughter you'll be. And I love you, but this guy is not a good guy. This is the story. This is what happened. He doesn't like me. And he tried to damage people. But the daughter was so in love with this guy. He was good looking. He, he looked so kind. He looked so nice that the words of the father kind of sounded, I think my dad is just jealous. He's just trying to stop me from dating anyone. Daddy, you always do this. You always try to tell me the things I should do and I shouldn't do. And she persisted on dating this guy. And after a couple weeks in the relationship, the daughter never came back home. The father, the mother were distraught. They, they, were, they were anguished. They didn't know what had happened. Eventually, the police find out that, found out that this guy belonged to a net, to a red of human traffickers. And this beautiful daughter the most precious girl that this father had ever seen, ever had, was taken away from him. This girl woke up after being drugged in a place with rats and dirt. And eventually her life became a life of abuse. And she was sold as a, in the industry of slavery when girls, beautiful girls, are just used as objects. She wasn't even aware of where she was because she was always drugged and laying there flat on that thing that was something like a bed lay the daughter of a powerful man that had everything in life, that had a bright future, that had a loving father. Her destiny to be abused and beaten up until she was dead. Her future, to be a slave until the last day of her life. The Bible tells us about the CEO of the universe creating the most beautiful creatures that he had created. And he made a house for them. He gave them absolutely everything they needed to be happy, to grow. And he will come every afternoon after work, whatever work is for God, and spend time with his children. They're his beautiful children. He loved them. They were so cool. But one day the children decided to doubt what the father was telling them. And they decided to follow and listen and choose the bad boyfriend who camouflaged his evilness with some sort of kindness and interest for you and for me. And Eve and Adam fell for it. And one night, a dark night, 
they found that their destiny was now to be slaves, to be abused and used and beaten up until the very last day of their lives. And here we lay in the darkness of this shag when we are being kept, where this human trafficker, where this evil being is destroying humanity and not only destroying it, but not just a quick destruction, but enjoying the destruction and the suffering and beats up every human that he can every morning and every day and tries to recruit new beautiful girls to come and believe that the father is just trying to be controlling. He's trying to be a mean father. And he has created fear. And we all fear God at many times. There is a world out there that fear God, that does not trust God. Who will trust a God that allows or makes these terrible things happen? See, when humans sin, we were so corrupted, so corrupted that we don't even realize our own corruption. Total depravity. We are like this teenager, drugged, being abused, and being just destroyed without knowing that we are going to, to die at the end. We need an external source. We need someone to come and deliver us and free us from this abuser, from our new destiny. This girl was predestined to be great, to be happy, to be joyful. But the plans of the father changed because he allowed her daughter to make her own decisions because he loves her. He could have, not, he could have just retained her, told her, you're not going out and you're never going on and locked her in the bedroom and never let her go out until she turns 30 years old. But that is not love. That is slavery. And because of the choices that we made, we find ourselves like that. But just like this CEO, he searched and searched and searched for the daughter. And although the police didn't want to know anything about that, they say, you know what, it's, it, she's gone. If we couldn't find in 48 hours, she, she's gone. But no, he didn't give up. Because her daughter, the most beloved thing that he had, he knew, he imagined, he could almost picture her laying on that dirty bed, being beaten up, being drugged, being destroyed. And he couldn't, he couldn't stomach the feeling of not doing anything and allow that to happen to the most precious being that he had had. So he sold the house. He sold his cars. He sold everything he had. And with that money, he went looking for that girl and that captor. And because she was the most beautiful girl, her price was expensive. In the moments that she was conscious, she thought about running away, but she couldn't. She was too weak for that. She was too drunk for that. She thought about maybe finding money somehow to pay 
for her freedom. She was a slave after all, and the slaves are sold and bought. So she thought, what if I buy myself the freedom that I'm looking for? But she had no money. She couldn't pay the price for her own ransom. She needed an external source to deliver her from her slavery. Are we getting the point here? The Bible tells us, friends, if we have the, the, the screen here, in the book of 2 Corinthians, let's go and read. Uh, do we have it? All right, let's do it. Reconcile. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, with this in mind, let's read these Bible verses. Yeah? All this is from God. He's talking about all the, the previous verses talk about the transformed life that we can live in Christ, being the new creatures. Remember those verses? Yeah? They say, Paul reminds us, all this freedom, all this beautiful thing that we can be is from God. Through Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. I want you to, to remember this word ministry because we'll come back to it. That is, I'm going to explain to you, Paul says, what this ministry of reconciliation is, or what this reconciliation means. How the, reconcil the reconciliation happened. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation, message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you in behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. And the word for the verb for reconciliation, the word to reconcile, as we know in English, is the word catalasso. Say it, catalasso. Good morning, catalasso. Catalasso. What is the meaning of the word? To reconcile. To reconcile. Now, Paul is telling us that God was in Christ. I'm going to mix some Greek and English, like Spanglish. I don't know how you call it, Greek and English. Right? He was catalassoing the world to himself. Now, what is involved in this process of reconciliation? This is a beautiful thing because the word catalasso, reconciliation, exp can be expressed in two aspects, in two areas. It could mean a reconciliation in the quantitative way, and it could also mean a reconciliation in a qualitative way. Is that how you say it? Qualitative? Material and something metaphysic, right? So, something that is not material. So we got to explore because this, this Paul is talking about that God reconciled us with him in a material way, and the catalyst also means in a non-material way, a qualitative way, quantitative and qualitative. So how, how do you relate to how what is the relationship between this aspect, this word, the, the meaning of the word catalasso? very easy. You know, how many of you have a, a mortgage? Okay, don't, don't raise your hand if, if you're embarrassed of saying it. Yeah. If you have a mortgage, you know that you don't own your house until the mortgage is paid, right? 
So, but how many of you have savings accounts? Uh, that's a better question. No, and now people say, I don't want to leave my hand. No, I don't want to. Well, if you have savings accounts, there is something that you know. It's a compound interest. That compound interest is great. It's a good thing. It's beautiful. I'm starting to sound like someone in politics. No, it's great. But anyways, the compound interest says that if you have savings and you have $1,000 or $1, in the bank account, at the end of the period of the cycle, you will earn interest, right? So at the end of the cycle, you will learn you will, if, if your interest is 10%, at the end of the cycle, you have earned $100. I don't know why this pointer doesn't work, but you see the 100, right? Which means that at the end of that cycle, your bank account won't be, your savings won't just be $1,000, but it will be what? $1,100. Woohoo! You didn't do anything. You didn't move a finger, and you already got $100. Wouldn't life be amazing if we just make money this way? Some people do. This means by, by, by the end of the second cycle, you had $1,100. If you earn a 10%, you have earned $110. So at the end of that, your balance will be $1,210. Woohoo! More money for me. This is the compound interest. It's what is being, you earn the interest, and that goes to your balance, and that the interest of the interest, of the interest. It's, it's, see how it grows? That's awesome. Now, it is not so awesome when it's the other way around. When it's you that have a debt that have to pay. In 2008, I worked, uh, 2008, 2009, I worked in the mortgage industry. I think I told you about this, uh, this thing before. But in, in those were bad times to work in, in the area of, of, of housing and mortgage. And we worked for about uh, 20, 30 banks we served in the company that we worked. And it was just hard for me as a pastor, well, as a, somebody with a pastor's heart, I was in college at the time, to work in a business because businesses are not people-oriented. It's about making money. And when someone fell behind their payments, if they own if they owe $1,000, at the end of the month, if just say they had a 10% interest on their mortgage, they didn't own that $1,000 anymore. They owned $1,100. And so on and so on and so on. Now talk about it in the terms of hundreds of thousands of dollars in a mortgage. So people call and say, I don't have money. I lost my job. My wife just died of cancer. I am sick. Please help. And guess what? Those banks that lure you into getting a mortgage from them and presented a face like, we're always there for you. They weren't there for them. The debt was so big that the only solution that these people had, had was just to leave the house, vacate the house, bring everything, their history, their 30 years of marriage, their 40 years of family history, in a backpack, in a suitcase, pitch a tent, in many cases, in a public park, and wait for something to change. The house, the memories, the treasures, everything stayed behind. They couldn't save anything. That is a problem. Because as humans, friends, our debt is too massive. We're like this beautiful teenager, like this beautiful girl. Unable, completely unable, even if there is desire, there is nothing that she can do to pay the price of her freedom. 
you and I have sinned. And the debt of our sin is so big, the consequences of our sin is so big, that the only way that you and I can pay for that is what? What is, what is the only way that we can pay for our sins? Dying. There is no other option. There is no refinancing. There is no filing for chapter 11, 14, 7, or whatever chapter you file, you file for bankruptcy, all together. The only way that you can be free on by yourself from the debt that you have got yourself into, ourselves into, is by dying. That's how terrible the situation is. We need someone, an external source, to help us. We need someone with a bigger wallet than mine. And when I say a bigger wallet, this is really the smallest wallet in this, in this, in this room right now. I'm a seminary student with two kids and a wife, right? So it cannot get any smaller than that. There's basically, I open my wallet and it says, you have faith. That's all you have. You're living by faith. We need someone. And this is what Jesus did. The first aspect of reconciliation is the quantitative part. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Please, go with me, quickly. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I think you're getting a little, a little too happy with no opening your Bible. That worries me. Vamos. Vamos, that's in Spanish. See, I'm switching now to Spanish. So. Okay. Colossians 2. Verse 13. Are you with me? Okay. We got to go because the time is flying. When you were dead in your sins, Dead in your sins and in the incircumcision of your sinful nature, total depravity. There's no way, there's nothing you can do for yourself. You're a fish dead on the water. He forgave us all our sins. Now, this is not a forgiveness of just like, I'll pretend that it never happened. What is this forgiveness about? Having canceled the written code with its transgressions, it's regulation, sorry, that was against us, against us and that it stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Ah, oh, see, there's the evidence then that the law was nailed to the cross because it says the written code and the regulation, see? Amen? There's no more law. That's what some people will say. But let me just tell you something. What is Paul talking about here? Actually, it's not talking about the law. It's talking about our debt. What Paul is saying here that Jesus himself forgave us our sins. And this is going to be the example. Brother, help me here. Here it is. You have been a bad boy. You haven't paid what you were supposed to pay. Take this. This is a, a notice that you will be kicked out of your house unless you pay the mortgage that you own but you have no money. You have lost your job. What is your solution? Lose the house. In the case, because of your transgression, you have been handed the pink slip. Is that how you say it? The bill for your sin. And this bill says you have to pay with your life in order for this to be taken but here's the gracious Father, knowing that you are going through the greatest struggle ever in the universe. Knowing that you are desperate. 
Because who wants to die? Who wants to be abused and beaten up? But that is the consequence that we have to pay. That is the bill, the pink slip that we receive for going with a bad boyfriend. And now we have something. We owe something. And what Paul is saying that Jesus Christ has forgiven us our sins. Not by pretending that they don't exist. Not by saying, yeah, you're there being abused and everything. I'll pretend that you never disobeyed me. No, because that wouldn't fix anything. The whole point of forgiving is to change something. Right? To free you from, from the slavery that you are in. Are you with me? So Jesus comes, says Paul, and he takes away the hierographon. The written code, the, the word for written code is the hierographon. And hierographon is the bill that you owe. The pink slip. He's not taking away the law, friends. He's taking away your dead and mine. And he makes it his. And he goes, he carries and he nails your herographon as if it will be his. And he dies in your place. And because of that, you can enjoy your house again. Because of that, you don't have to die. Now you can live. Because you don't have a herographon anymore. See, when we paid off the churches, we usually burned the, the mortgage in the face of the treasurer of the, of, the, of the conference. I think he goes to this church, you know? But some people are like, Sah, we don't own anything anymore. Nobody can take the house away from me. Ah, you know, a big flamethrower. Because there is no more debt. Woo! We're free. I'm going to clean these deacons and deaconesses. Don't worry. <laughs> we are free. That's what Jesus did for us. He took away the quantitative part of our, our, our problem. And you know why he did it? Because that debt was in the way between you and him. And the whole reason why he created you and he created me is to have a relationship. Relationship. We have kids because we want to, to give love. And when we give that love, we hope to receive some love as a result of the love that we give. That is called a relationship. The whole center of, the whole reason for redemption is to restore the relationship that we have. But there is no relationship when sin and the hierographon is hanging over your head because you are afraid. You know you owe to this big guy. And see what's, what LNGY says. This is amazing. Let me show you something here. Hopefully it's the next, the next, the next thing. I made some changes. Catalasso. Ah, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Let's see. Uh, you know what? I don't think you have all my, my screen, my, my shots there. Oh, there you go. Ah, there you go. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I blame you too, too soon. Forgive me. Because Satan keeps telling you, friend, he keeps telling you, you are a sinner and you deserve to die. And he tells you that even though Jesus already paid for your death, he keeps coming. He's a false witness, a false accuser that Deuteronomy tells us, tells us about. That's why he will die. Because the false accuser is supposed to receive the penalty that the accused would have received. You see? But now he's going to die for that because he's telling you, you will die. Your life is a mystery. You don't deserve to live. And he goes and he tells God himself that you are a sinner. 
the accuser of our brothers, like it is in Revelation 10. Are you with me? But look at this. The enemy of God, of good, sorry, blinded the, mind, the minds of men so that they looked upon God with what? Can you have a relationship when there is fear? Where there is fear? No. No, no, no. Satan wants to stop their relationship from happening. They thought of him as a severe and unforgiving. Satan led men to conceive God as a being whose chief attribute is a stern justice. One who is a severe judge, a harsh an exacting creator, a collector. The second aspect of reconciliation is the, the aspect of, let me go back, is the aspect of the quantitative part. I don't know what screen we're in, but that's not, that, I like that better. It's the quantitative part. Now read this with me. Because we need to be in Christ. We need to be with God in order to be happy. We cannot find happiness if we are not with God. Are you with me? See? If we pretend that we are too cool for a school and we just go in our own way, yeah, it will, will last for a couple of days. But eventually you look like the, the leaves of, the, of, of a tree in an autumn, in, in the fall. They look beautiful, but they are dying. Right? But now, because there is no more death, there can be a reconciliation. Now this is the qualitative part. From enmity to friendship. From enmity to intimacy. And when we are in, in, in an intimate relationship with God, we find peace in our hearts. Isn't that what John documents when he says, my peace, I leave you, my peace, I, I leave you. I give you my peace. His peace, not our peace, not the worldly peace that we're trying to find, but his peace. And that is only possible because now he comes to you and say, there's nothing else that you have to fear. I'm here for you. That is the whole reason why God has the plan of salvation. Isn't that what he said when, they, when he asked Moses to build him a sanctuary? Why did he say that? Did he say, build me a sanctuary so I can rule over you? You ignorant slaves. Is that what he said? Because you have no clue what you're doing. I'm going, I'm, do not misbehave because I'm going to spank you. Is that what he said? He said, make me a sanctuary so I can what? Be with you. It's all about the relationship. And how did God, how did Jesus change that relationship? from conflict, from enmity, into intimate friendship. Stay with me in Colossians. Colossians verse chapter, chapter 2. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong chapter before, no? I, I say 2. It's actually 1.13. And now we're going to read 1... Uh, I'm sorry, it was right. 2.13. And now we're going to read uh, 1.19. My Bible is bilingual, so it's like a little all over the map. i got to find the right place. 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, the pleroma, dwell in him. Jesus is God, is fully God. Beautiful thing. Subject of a, of a different study. And through him, he reconciled 
to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, a universal thing. He's using this approach of heaven and earth, alpha and omega, right? To, to, to give the, the understanding of everything. By making peace through his... Are you with me? I know you need to eat, but come on, help me a little bit. If you don't talk, we're going to stay here longer. <laughs> By making peace through what? His blood shed on the cross. Friends, making peace. Jesus at the cross not only took care of the quantitative part of our, our situation, he also took care of the qualitative part of our situation. And now that we thought that God was a God ready to fight us, he opened one arm taking care of the quantitative, and he opens his other, his other hand showing us that he also cares for the qualitative part of our relationship. And now we have a Jesus with open arms coming through to you Amen. and inviting you to embrace him for eternity again. At the cross, Jesus paid for my hierographon. I have nothing to owe anymore. I am free from the condemnation that sin placed upon me. And when Satan comes and tells you, you are a sinner, you deserve to die, you deserve this misery that you're living on, reminds him, bring the ashes and tells him, hey, there is no more hierographon. I am free in Jesus Christ because he paid for my sin. And when Satan makes you feel that you are too bad to be close to the Lord, when you have done things that are too terrible to be forgiven, remind him that because there is no more death, there is peace between you and God. There is intimate. Remind him that the Father came to you with a ransom. And he didn't only pay with money. He paid with his own life. Jesus Christ paid with his own life. So he can take you home. He lifted you up from that bed when you were condemned to die, abused by men and women and Satan, with your face full of scars and bruises. And he lovely took you home like that little lamb that went astray. And the good shepherd went and rescued. Remember that? And now you're in the house of your father. And you are again his son, his daughter. Don't let any bad boyfriend tell you that you don't deserve to be with the Father. Yeah, you don't deserve it. Yet here you are. Because the Father made everything possible so you can be called again children of God. My friends, Satan accused Jesus of being, accused God of being this harsh father. And that was his argument. That was his, one of his arms. But now come with me. When we think about Calvary, friends, we think about this humiliating moment. We think about the most humiliating kind of and tortuous way to die. Calvary naked with his back and the flesh of his back just hanging in pieces because that, that torture that he went before, even before the crucifixion was just terrible. He was treated like the worst of the worst of the worst because that's how you and I should have been treated even before dying because that's what Satan wants to do. And as Jesus walks, probably some people will think, how is this the Messiah? How is this the king, powerful king that was promised to us?
How is this Emmanuel? This is a loser. This is someone that has been defeated. Huh. How is this the glorious king that hangs on the cross and they put a sign that says, King of the Jews? Oh. Yeah. How is this possible? What? Satan felt that he was winning. And as Jesus walked, carrying that cross, Satan and his angels were going like, we did it. We won. Ah, there's Jesus humiliated. And they were following Jesus. Feeling victorious. Ah. But what they didn't know, and we know now, because of the resurrection. Don't ever forget the importance of the resurrection. We always preach and talk about the cross, the cross, the cross. But the cross has no final result without the resurrection. Right? Isn't that what Hebrews says? That because he, there were priests, that their ministries end because they died. But now we have a priest that lived forever, and he actually forever lives to intercede for those who come to the Father through him. The cross is our victory too because of the seal of acceptance that was placed upon the sacrifice of Jesus when he was resurrected by the Father. So you and I can claim that promise not just as temporal, but as eternal. And there is Satan without knowing what he was really, what's really happening here. Following Jesus, the, the Son of God, God himself made flesh being humiliated by the, by the Roman Empire and by the forces of evil, of darkness, carrying the cross. But let me ask you something. There goes Jesus, and there goes Satan following. Of course, this is not a biblical thing per se, but let's picture this, that this is what happened. Do you, have you seen the pictures of the Roman or the, the emperors when they conquer a new territory or they conquer one of their enemies? And there will come the, the, the warrior, right? The, the chief, the, the, the man, the commander. Riding this beautiful chariot with these beautiful horses. Right, remember? And he will go through something. And we do this here in the States too. World War II, when our heroes came back, we threw a victory parade. But in the time of Jesus, the victory parade included the victor, the conqueror riding a chariot going to be crowded yeah, to receive the glory and behind him were the people that he conquered. In, second, in, in Colossians 2 15 says, and having discerned the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by what? By the cross. But the cross was the most humiliating thing. <laughs> Paul says, negative. The cross and the parade to the cross and what happened before after were actually a victory parade. 
Because Satan's argument was that God is a harsh and evil God that wants to control us. But Jesus, through his humiliation and the love that he has for you, takes your place, takes the hierographer, and takes everything so he can have a relation. And he carries that cross. And as Satan celebrates, he doesn't realize he's blinded, but he's actually not in front as a conqueror. He's following the conqueror, showing again that he is the one that is being conquered. Because his argument against, against God vanished. Now the whole universe knows that this God is not a, a God that wants to hate you and control you and destroy you. It's a God that is willing to leave the beautiful and supreme courts of heaven, become Emmanuel, a little babe, live in poverty, and become a servant, and not just a servant, but the humblest of the servants that there is. And he humiliates himself, the CEO of the nation, of the universe, humiliates himself to die the most humiliating death that is in the cross. So as Jesus walked to Calvary, a victory parade was taking place. And when Jesus died, it wasn't a humiliating thing. It was a moment of celebration somehow because our hierographon, our enmity, disappeared. And after three days, he resurrected. And what, remember what Stephen says? What does Stephen say? Jesus where? Is standing where? In the heavens. Jesus has been given the power. He has been, being, he has been crowned the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings. I love that song. And Lord of Lords. And the whole heaven is singing. King of kings. And Lord of Lords. And he shall give us direct. And he shall live for. Oh, the heaven is celebrating. Because the Lord of Lords has been restored to his kingdom. After showing us that he's a love of God. You and I have been reconciled. Now, he said we are ambassadors to the world. First thing was the ministry of reconciliation. The second thing was the message of reconciliation. In that order, the word for ministry is actually diaconia. And usually the deacons are thought to be, you know, that, oh, we need someone to clean the bathroom. Who wants to be a deacon? No, no, that's not what the ministry of diaconia is about. But it's a ministry of service. Yeah? Now we are called to be servants. And show to the world that reconciliation through service, through love, through mercy, through charity, through helping others, through forgiveness. And secondly, we have a message of reconciliation. Ton Logon is how it's written in there. An actual word of reconciliation. But look at this. Which one comes first? Our preaching without words. We are ambassadors. Now we are to live like children of this beautiful and merciful and loving God. May the world, may our answer, may our prayer that we prayed this morning when they sung, let them see you in me. Let them hear you in me. Let them feel you in me. We are to showcase the love of Jesus 
in this world of, world of darkness. We are to show others that God is not an evil God. He's a loving and merciful God with the way how we live. And finally, with the things that we say. So may this church be a church that preaches the gospel of reconciliation, the gospel of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Not only from here in Sabbath morning, but as you, church, expand throughout Chicago and the areas of Chicago, showing people and living the reconciliation that you have experienced in Jesus Christ so others will be attracted to the Lord and they also be delivered from the slavery that they are placed. Dear Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for intervening, for, for having your two arms open, wide open for us, paying our debt and paying and destroying whatever was on the way to have a, a relationship with you. Lord, many of us are reconciliated, but we are not living as reconciliated people because we, haven't, we still have some things that we, we are not willing to give up. We have people that we don't like, that we haven't forgiven because forgiving Forgiving them will mean to place ourselves in a situation of humility. But Lord, Jesus Christ, the supreme deacon, has showed us what his kingdom is about. A kingdom of service. A kingdom of desiring to serve everyone else. To be the least. And you shall make us the first. Lord, I pray that you will work in our hearts right now and we will be able to surrender everything that is stopping us from experiencing this, this passion for people, this, the same love that you have for people, the same love that, we have for, that you have for our spouses, the same love that we should be feeling for our children, for our mother and father and for everyone that has ever done something against us. May we be able to leave that reconciliation by being reconciled with other people as well. And Lord, I ask you that we will, this week, give us the opportunity to find, put someone in our way, or put us in the path of someone that needs to know about the love of Christ this week. So Lord, we may be able to show them what you are all about, and also tell them with our words what a gracious and loving and merciful Father you are. Thank you, Lord. I pray for this church. I pray, I pray for the new pastor as well, for Pastor Rufo, that you will, you will lead him and this congregation to expanding your kingdom here in this area of Downer Grove and all these areas around. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Almighty Father, thank you for giving us reconciliation, for reconciling us to yourself with you, Lord, through Jesus Christ. We love you and we're forever grateful. And we really cannot wait to see you coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So help us live, O oh Lord, every day as citizens of that magnificent kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.